guys who started Google and Elon Musk and people like that have been going to Burning Man uh, and meeting and cross-pollinating there and at other things like that. I'm about to go to my 18th Burning Man in a row this year. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grab America show. Uh, we're going to be chatting some unified field theory and other fun stuff with Jamie Jan over uh, in a little while. But first, as always, um, I see Seti the UFO in Israel and won't stop talking about it. Dunlop, oh, how's on. it going, buddy? <laughs> I never really thought about it like that, but yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of right. I did sort of yeah. did that. Yeah, you did that. Yeah, you did done that. His consciousness was involved. There yeah, it is appropriate because we did talk about it with Jamie a little bit. But I, it's not like I always talk about it. I've just heard it a lot. Yeah, because you're always here. Yeah. I'll stop talking about it. No, it's okay. Don't get all sensitive. Like, let's stop doing intros. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Jamie talks about uh, Nassim Herman's work. He's like the emissary for him and yeah. the Resonance Project. Pretty fascinating stuff, but he's also like a master musician as well, which is very interesting to me. Yeah, that was him in the opening credits playing his, what's it called? Hammered, Hammered Dulcimer. Hammered Dulcimer. It's like a, it's like a, uh, what do you call the drums? It's like a, a xylophone. It's like a percussion. It's like a crazy stringed xylophone. It's like a percussion string instrument. Okay. Yeah. Pretty geeky way to say it, but yeah. Thanks, buddy. percussion string instrument. <laughs> so we got a pretty good intro ready for you guys. I got like a weather, a little weather segment, weather modification segment to do and some listener feedback and synchronicities and, and stories. Gotta, but as always, you can gotta, check the timestamp. And if you don't want to listen to his ramble on, you can go right ahead to the interview with Jamie. Yeah. Just check and the we show won't notes. be offended. At Look all. at their donate. Um, I got a new jingle for your new segment, too. Good, right on. And we got to talk about the upgrade program as well. And I want to get into some... Current events? No. People talking weird. People talking weird? Talking wrong. Really? Yeah. Well, I've been inspired by the nuclear nuclear. Oh, for fuck's sakes. And I've got into some common phrase. I've actually been hearing a common phrase all the time. And it's like caught me. I've caught like a few people in the last like month. <laughs> And I, I just, I never say anything, but they say it wrong and it fucking irritates me. So I've got a couple, I've, well, I've dug up a couple other comments. Go for it. Let's start with that. Well, it's like when they say, uh, you know how you're supposed to say the ball's in your court now? <laughs> yeah. Well, now all these fucking, <laughs> all these people are like, it's in your ball in court. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I thought it was I've a one time thing, but I swear it's just like an epidemic. Everybody thinks that's what it's really <laughs> supposed to be. Everyone thinks that's what it's really supposed to be. And the other one is for all intensive purposes. Oh, no. Come on. People don't say that, really. For all intensive purposes. For all intents and purposes. Um, yeah, yeah. Not intensive purposes? Oh, yeah. Everyone says it. Really? Yes. I'm telling you. Oh, you're... <clears throat> I'm telling you, there's some people right now whose minds are just becoming blown that they've been saying this. No. If you, I, I'd be interested to hear if there's anyone. Really? Yeah. How about down the pike? What's that? <laughs> it's, you know, people say down the pike. Is that like the turnpike? It's supposed to be down the pipe, I think. Down the turnpike? No, down the pike, I think. Is it down the pike? Isn't down the, uh, is a turnpike like a highway? Yeah. Is it? 
So that's that uh, what was what was the other one? Another one, yeah. That's pretty funny. I tweeted a couple of them the other day. Yeah, I saw the intents and purposes one. No, but no, there was another one too. Nuclear and something else. Oh, the other word. Yeah, NASA. NASA. Yeah, that's right. That's right. NASA. But what was the first one you said again? Nuclear. No, no, no. The first ver- phrase that people. Oh, ball and court. Ball and court. It's in your ball and court. It's in your <laughs> ball and court. What does that even mean? Rise me mental. You watch, I hear it everywhere now. I swear it's. An, it's uh, I heard this one guy calling uh, yoga move. It reminds me of Trailer Park Boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what comes a- around is all around. <laughs> <laughs> There's a yoga move called Cat and Cow, and this one guy calls it Cat and Camel. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, and it actually should be because it makes sense. It is more like cat and camel than cat and cow. Is that why? Yeah, just the way you're humped back like that. Like I don't know. I, 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 like, like that. Down and Graham going deep. Prepared. It's a profound oh. UFO quote of the week. Yeah, I am prepared. It's a small one. It's a profound UFO quote of the week. So yeah, this is a small one, a profound UFO quote of the week. This is, because uh, there's lots to talk about tonight, so I'm keeping this small. Many of the reports that cannot be explained have come from intelligent and technically well-qualified individuals whose integrity cannot be doubted. That's from Major General E.B. LeBailey, USAF Director of Information, September 28, 1965, letter to the USAF Scientific Advisory Board. Hmm. Take that. <coughs> you know... <coughs> Why was it so short? What? <laughs> Why was it so short? Because we got lots to talk about. <laughs> we should have I try a, and pick the long ones where there's not as we much. We should have to, a minimum. You want, <laughs> I count on that as a couple of seconds break. <laughs> that was too quick for you. Go and do your new segment. I'm anxious to play the new jingle. No, because there's uh, a there's a synchronicity or no, uh, yeah, there's a some feedback some feedback that leads to the new segment. So synchro? Yeah, I think so. Let's go with the classic. I'm a rambling grand with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. So For everyone uh, who just got it out of their head. Do you, do you want, uh, I'm going to do this one and then I'll do another one after. If you want to play a new jingle after that, you can. I don't have another synchro, a new synchro jingle. <clears throat> so this is a response. He says, Hey Graham, thanks for, uh, you're welcome. Graham, thanks for replying. This is from Adam. I hope I can say his name. He uh, says, I often experience synchros, but have never really shared them properly. Because perhaps like other listeners, I'm a bit lonely. 
without the, is that the word without these digital connections at least so thanks for opening up a fun channel for us and comforting me and the knowledge that actually there could be quite a community of us over here in the uk it's great that you and darren found each other's friendship and created such a positive thing together your banter makes me chuckle and i can tell when you're poking fun at each other is just well humored Anyway, in the UK, you should go to a meetup. There's a whole UK posse. I've seen the hashtag flying around. Well, hey, he's got the hashtag here. Does he? Yeah. You guys should do a meetup. You guys can't be more than half an hour from each other. Oh, it's a bigger place than you think. It takes a long oh, time to drive. Someone told me a couple hours. We had feedback. Did we go over that? Yeah, we went, yeah. yeah. But I mean, as the crow flies, but the roads are all windy. and As the crow flies? What do you know? <laughs> fucking Indian chief. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard that before? Yes, I've heard it Is before. That I'm an Indian. That you don't... <laughs> don't take our words. Aren't you half Indian? Yes. Okay. Half calf. Uh, anyways, they could actually look up No Agenda as well, because I bet you a lot of these guys in the UK um, listen to No Agenda, and there's probably a meetup there they could go to. Yeah. And then they could do like a Grand America sort of like table. And then yeah, I think there's 10 or 12 of them. It would be worth meeting at a pub. Send pictures. Yeah, send pictures. Yeah. We'll send you a t shirt. If you guys do organize something, let us know and we'll give out the location. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk for about the, it. For the feds. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, anyways. He says, anyway. Anyway. Here's another synchro that just happened. I thought you may like it because it occurred after listening to podcasts with podcasts with Gordon White. I was impressed with his articulation, intelligent perspective, and esoteric knowledge. Or as the the dude at the Freemason Lodge in Calgary says, esoteric knowledge. In Calgary? Yeah. Remember I went is that your is that your little uh... I was just when I went to that open house. Ecoutrement? How is it? <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'm a poor struggling artist, so I've never ordered the books the guests have written. However, with a long interest in unusual experiences with non-human intelligences, Gordon's rhetoric struck a chord with me and compelled me to change that fact. Luckily, I had just enough money in my pay PayPal account to, sh to purchase his book online. As a related note, I enjoy... Posting on social media as part of a project called Incredible Edible. You might like Pam Warhurst's TED Talk explaining the idea. My contribution is known as Incredible Entwistle Tea. Facilitating positive redesign and kindness using tea and edible plants as a catalyst. So I tweeted Gordon and Scarlet Imprint Publishers to share a good literary, literary find. It turned out that the order was placed just in time. And he sent me a, a link to Twitter, which says it was just about going in the post and they would send it over right away. He says, of course, this is all just synchro buildup. I enjoy the intros and your listeners' stories too. The book just arrived. <clears throat> Beautifully packaged and just at the right time to help me procrastinate for, from applying for a job I was hoping could fund more of my positive material culture. He says, I went into the living room where my dad was watching television, savoring the experience of opening the delicate tissue paper the book was neatly wrapped in. I held the book up to admire the cover art. Star 
ships. At exactly that moment, a character in the TV show my dad was watching paused and exclaimed, I'll have you navigating starships in no time. I laughed as the character gave a wry smile. Admitting, admittedly, my dad was watching Star Trek, so a mention of starships isn't <laughs> unlikely. <laughs> but the timing... <laughs> But the timing was impeccable. The whole episode was about a crew taking a break from their work, but getting into various escapades. I can relate. Anyhow, if after reading the book I do end up navigating starships, I'll be sure to send you a signal from Sirius. Keep up the laughter, guys. Hashtag UK Posse. Adam. Hmm. I like that. But I think those little ones like that are my favorites. That happened to my mom and me the other day. What's that? A synchronicity? Yeah. I was thinking about, for days and days, I was thinking about I should be getting in touch with her because I knew she was coming back. She was coming here to Calgary for a bit to visit, which is down south. I really didn't know what her travel plans were at all. And I kept thinking, and my sister was like, have you heard from mom? You think she's okay? Like, we haven't heard from her in a while, right? Like a long time. I maybe only talked to her like two or three times in a couple months. She's coming over. She's driving up from the States or whatever for days. I don't know what the day the schedule is like or whatever. I decide, finally decide after humming and hawing for a few days. And I don't know why. There was no reason why I was hesitating. I just sent her a text. Hey, mom, how are you doing? Are you okay? And, you know, when are you coming? She gets the text as she's picking up the phone to call me. She picks up the phone to call me and gets the text. Mm. And I know it's all like, you know, yeah, of course she's going to, you know, we talk to each other all the time. But it's one of those things where... It affected her to the point where it brought tears to her eyes. Really? Yeah. Because mm. she was like, she hadn't talked to me in a long time, and she finally picked up the phone to call me as my text came in. I don't want to give your mom a bad sync or... <laughs> so Just leave that one. Yeah, I'm just going to leave that right there in the field. Are you going to rate Adam's Starship one? Yeah, well, obviously he was watching the first new Star Trek movie. After the fight scene in the bar, I'm assuming. What? Is that what it was? I don't know. That's my guess. Well, he says it was a TV show. Maybe it was the next generation. Yeah. It's still pretty freaky coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give it a six. <laughs> okay. But seriously, do the meetup. You caught posse. You don't okay. have to be lonely no more. That's true. Cool dudes. True that. They listen to Grab America. They're guaranteed cool dudes. All right. Do you want a, another one here? Another synchro? Yeah. Yeah. Fire away. I'm feeling generous today. All right. So he says, hey, Graham, love the show. You and Darren are quite a duo. And let's not forget about RPJ. I love your intros. Fuck the haters. I've been listening to you guys for a few months now. And sadly, I've only donated 10 bucks thus so far. But I'd love to get one of those shirts of off you guys classic and saves Sasquatch for the record sorry darren i've been meaning to write in the synchronicity q ramblin gram is that the one we just played too yes i'm a rambling gram oh, hey donated yeah thanks for donating all over the web and darren is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet 
He says, but I'm a bad procrastinator. So there I was on a dark and stormy. No, not really. I was at work listening to podcasts as I often do now. If it's not you guys, I like to browse through Jerry's more eccentric guests or Eldon Taylor's provocative enlightenment. I don't recall exactly which I was, which one I was listening to. So feel free to withhold that. He says 420 homeboy. Anyways, twice that night, my ears were treated to the musical delights of a sitar. And I recall pondering the likelihood of such an occurrence. A what? A sitar. What's that? It's a old Middle Eastern or Indian instrument. You like know a, what a ukulele? Is? No, I don't think so. Am I supposed to know what a sitar is? Yeah. I'm the wrong kind of Indian motherfucker. Everybody knows what a sitar is. Everybody knows what a sitar is because it rhymes with guitar. I never thought of that. You never thought of that. Everybody knows that sitar. And now everybody literally knows that sitar rhymes with guitar. Here, you can look at it. A child knows that sitar. Right there. That's a sitar. It does kind of look like a weird looking guitar. (laughs) Yeah, pretty weird, eh? It reminds me of Alibaba and the 40 Thieves or something like that. That's pretty racist. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Whoops. (laughs) Where am I? So, okay. He says. Studio. So he says, I recall pondering the likelihood of such an occurrence because you heard that twice that night. Well, break time rolled around. What does it sound like? I don't know. I can't play jingles on here, right? Can, you should find one. What's it called? A sitar. <laughs> S-I-T-A-R. And yeah. you should set me up so I can play jingles. Release some of I that let you do you that have. once. I gave you the power <laughs> once and you fucked it up. Why? How did I fuck it up? I can't remember, but it happened. <clears throat> Keep talking. Actually, wait. I think I got one here. Okay, let's hear a sitar. An amazing sitar. So, this isn't a regular sitar. There's probably going to be an ad. Musician is the best way to learn, practice, and master a musical instrument. Just play along with any guitar or piano. Probably get sued for this kind of shit. Ah. Oh, it's totally just like a guitar. No wonder it rounds with guitar. It's not like a guitar. What, are you kidding me? That's not like a guitar? Is that the same thing? Is that picture we saw? Like he's rocking out like fucking... It makes that percussion noise as well? Or is that somebody playing the drums? No, that's some... (laughs) (laughs) He's playing a little solo. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like like it. it. I could jam with this guy. My new violin. All right, so here he is pondering the likelihood, right? <clears throat> well, break time rolls around. And well, now the si- I just heard it a third time. <laughs> and the sitar it was still not playing. No, he says the sitar was not still playing. And I headed home to make some food. On my way home, something caught my eye. The contrast of the small white lighter on the pavement really made it stand out. Upon further inspection, this lighter... Had a picture of. Drum roll, please. Sitar. 
You guessed it, a fucking sitar. I don't believe it. I smiled the rest of the way home. That is until I tripped on a pipe. Ouch. I guess this doubles as a trip report then. <laughs> I don't have that. Well, I don't, you don't know have how the, that. The I have the... No, that's... <laughs> Uh, so, I find I've never, I don't know. Does a lighter exist with a sitar on it? Did he oh, send a picture? No, oh, come on. Listen, I've okay, got some follow okay. up here for you. Darren. I believe him. Darren. Yes. I work close to home. No, I did not need the lighter. I quit smoking right after I started this job a few months ago. I had one at home. Yes. Twice. No, I don't believe the lighter was there on my way into work hours earlier. I would have probably noticed it as I often stared at the ground lost in thought. It was one of those mini lighters with plastic wrap on the outside. The Save Sasquatch shirt just looks better, man. It's nothing personal. <laughs> and any further questions can be and will be answered with enthusiasm. Mm. <coughs> I can finish off the email if you want, but you can just actually rate it. Well, I'll give it like a, That's pretty good, an, eh? an eight. Eight. And I'll bump it up if he sends me a picture of the sitar light. <laughs> I don't think he took, kept it, did he? Why wouldn't he? I need the lighter. I guess he would, eh? Yeah, I would have kept it. Yeah, no doubt. If you And if he didn't keep it and he threw it away? And he, then I'm taking a point <laughs> off. He's going down to a seven. Okay. So he says uh, he continues on. He says, I recently read an article on RPJ's webpage as a first-time visitor that mentioned the electric universe theory in Project Thunderbolts. I myself was interested in this theory, having listened to their podcast not long ago. Maybe you guys can have a guest on sometime to talk about it. He says, yeah, and I, I agree with him. I think it's fascinating, and we should. What do you think, Darren? Sure. Absolutely. I thought the Thunderbolts thing was the, those people that had seen... We're going to be fucking booked up till June in no time. Though, I know. The way things are going. Yeah. Anyways, we'll talk about that another time, but I, I think I remember looking on the Project Thunderbolts because they had some sort of concave. Is that the people that had some sort of concave um, camera lens or something that sees alternate realities? No, because that doesn't exist. Oh, come on. I, <laughs> I was He's, talking to another grandma on Twitter today and he figures we have to kill statistically you have to kill 200 Sasquatch. Yeah, I saw that little transaction there. Transaction? No, it would be a what's the word I'm looking for? Interaction? Uh, interaction. No, trans no, I, yeah, I, it was I interaction. Know. Yeah, okay. So anyways, he says, "PS, don't give up on that climate change shit, Graham." These motherfuckers, those motherfuckers are up to something. I can smell it. Got to spread the gospel of Randall Carlson and Ben Davidson. I'm Skippy. And he says, I fucking love you guys. Peace. I love you too, buddy. Oh, yeah. And then he also, uh, he sent the, he sent a PSS. I thought you might enjoy the following news article. CBC.ca slash news slash world slash Panama leak offshore records. Putin messy money. Putin earned his money. You were just talking about that tonight. Those things. Yeah. So, so does that is that the lead into your chemtrail segment? No, it's not chemtrails. Uh, everybody and their dogs talk about uh, those papers, so I don't think we really need to get into. Okay, it. right. 
I don't know a whole lot about it. I know David Cameron's resigning. I know it's probably said. done by the CIA. <clears throat> you think they were put out by the CIA? Why? I think it was all done because there's nothing about U.S. people in there. I think the only U.S. people that are in there so far are in jail or... I don't know. I gotta listen to more No Agenda. Oh, they've been talking about that? I'd imagine. I'm falling behind on a couple episodes, so... Just skip ahead to the latest one. There's no point. Once you... A show like that, once you fall behind it. If there's a new one out, there's no point listening to the other. Sometimes I go back. Depends on if... Sometimes I'm just... Yeah, they're too long. Yeah. Not like... Ours are less time sensitive. Yeah. Go back and listen to ours by all means. Yeah. So can I play your new jingle then? Sure, man. So this is a weather report, weather modification segment. Yeah, I read Senate reports for breakfast. Senate report. I read my Senate reports. I hope you got fucking Kate Bush's cloud busting song in there. (laughs) Graham is an all-in believer in (laughs) chemtrails. It was actually a mix-up. I was trying to get him to just come up with the words, and I was just giving him a little insight <laughs> to to make it up, and he took the insight just as Who's little. that? I Is that know. one of our listeners? I better not be one of our listeners. <laughs> Fiverr guy. Jesus. Graham is an all-in believer in chemtrails. It's a good jingle for that, but it's not fucking <laughs> true. It's bullshit. My gags so get forget- ex- my gags get expensive over <laughs> the fortune cookie. <clears throat> this isn't where your donations are going to, people. No, that comes no, out of, that comes out of pocket. <laughs> I hope so. The fortune cookies are sixty bucks or something. That was money well spent. Well, money this well report, spent. this report that's in a box because it's six inches thick. Was sixty bucks to print. <coughs> well, it's just printed at work. Because I, you know, it's a little bit too much. No. Yeah. So we this wait, is, we go through waste more paper than that in a day. Yeah, that's true. So just I've been to- collect all the old paper and print it on the backs. Yeah. On, on eleven by seventeen, you need a fresh copy of your fucking Senate report. What are you going to save it? Yeah. I am, of course. This is. I'm not going to throw it away after. Well, you should have got it all binded. Maybe no, like, no, I was thinking about that. But it have to be bound. in the chapters or something. It have to be like, like encyclopedias. Uh, it's fucking fascinating, man. It's fascinating. So this is the 1978 Weather Modification Programs, Problems, Policy, and Potential U.S. Senate Report. It's like 870 pages long. I'm just going to do the odd segment every once in a while. I can't do it every week because it's just too much time to, to dig into this. I've read some of it in the past. I've read the chapter titles and, and some of <laughs> I've read the <laughs> chapter titles. <laughs> wow. And other stuff. Good for you. Well, you, I can only put up with you interrupting so long. Fuck. You were looking at me like it was crazy, so. So this one is going to be the summary and conclusion. So after the chapter titles, there's the summary and conclusions. Already? Yeah, you ready? 
We've gone read from chapter titles to summaries and conclusions. So is this the last segment? No, it's just, um, you know, this is, okay. you know, after that, I'll get into the chapters okay. in, in depth. Okay. This will be like more of a summary and conclusion, which is going to grab people's attention. It's fucking mm-hmm. fascinating. In other words, <clears throat> you didn't do your homework again. Look at all this. I read the whole thing. The, Did you? This in itself is like 40 pages. You were highlighting like 10 minutes before we turned the mics on. I was just tweaking things a bit. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward ready? to this. I've been waiting weeks. Okay. So I made a jingle. Uh, you didn't make a jingle. Kind I did. I was looking for a real, I wanted proper jingle. I lost the email. And you see, you see, you see, you see, like you would be super disappointed if I didn't have a jingle. I would have been. So I had to have a jingle. (laughs) I looked for what it's worth. I searched jingle and you didn't come up. I get a lot of emails, especially from you. And a lot of junk mail. I don't. I only send you stuff, and I specifically write in there when <laughs> some of it's just an FYI. But when I want you to read it, I actually put a note in there. Please read this, right? I don't think he did that time. Okay. I broke down Kate Bush's song for you. I gave you timestamps. <laughs> It was an old favorite song of mine from the eighties, so it's this is kind of close to home for me. Resend it and I'll fix it. Okay. Weather modification is generally considered to be the deliberate effort to improve atmospheric conditions for benefit for beneficial human pros, pur- purposes. To augment water supplies through enhanced precipitation or to reduce economic losses, property damages, and deaths through mitigation of adverse effects of hail, lightning, fog, and severe storms. Now, don't forget, this is from 1978, and it's talking about the history as well. Not all weather modification activities, however, have been or can be designed to benefit everyone, and some intentional operations have been used or are perceived to have been used as a weapon of war to impede the mobility or tactical readiness of an enemy. Furthermore, environmental change is also affected unintentionally and without any purpose at all, as man inadvertently modifies the weather and climate. So then it goes on to say, the modern period in weather modification is about three decades old, dating from events in 1946, when Schaefer and Langmuir of the <coughs> GE Corporation demonstrated the cloud of supercooled water droplets could be transformed into ice crystals when seeded with dry ice. Soon afterward, it was discovered that fine particles of pure silver iodide with crystal structure similar to that of ice were effective artificial ice nuclei, and that seeding clouds with such particles could produce ice crystals at temperatures just below freezing. Silver iodide remains the most often used material in modern cloud seeding. Again, that was the 70s talking about the 40s. Understanding of atmospheric processes essential to improved weather modification technologies has been advanced. Sophisticated evaluation procedures now used in most research projects 
are most often not used. So the effectiveness of the operation is frequently difficult to assess. What do you think so far, buddy? Captivating. No, it is, eh? Seriously. Ice nuclei. There would be are... a good way to make snow for the ski hill. Well, that's part of this coming up. Making snow? Yep. It's not that exciting to me. There are really a series of weather modification technologies, each tailored to altering a particular atmospheric phenomena and each having reached a different state of development and operational usefulness. The following summary provides a reasonably accurate assessment of the current status of weather modification technology. In 1978. Yeah. The only routine operational projects are for clearing cold fog. Research on warm fog has yielded some useful knowledge and good models, but resulting technologies are so costly that they are usable mainly for military purposes and for very busy airports. Several long-running efforts, so this is number two, several long-running efforts to increase winter snowpack by seeding clouds in the mountains suggest that precipitation can be increased by some 15% over what would have happened naturally. Number three, a decade and a half of experience with seeding winter clouds on the U.S. West Coast and in Israel and summer clouds in Florida also suggest a 10 to 15% increase over natural rainfall. Hypothesis and techniques from the work in one area are not directly transferable to other areas, but will be helpful in designing comparable experiments with broadly similar cloud systems. Number four, numerous efforts to increase rain by seeding summer clouds in the central and western parts of the U.S. have left many questions unanswered. A major experiment to try and answer them for the High Plains area is now in its early stages. Number five, it is scientifically possible to open holes in wintertime cloud layers by seeding them. Increasing sunshine and decreasing energy consumption may be essentially relevant in the northeastern quadrant of the U.S. That's interesting, eh? Scientifically possible to open holes in wintertime cloud layers back in the 60s. That's good. Some 10 million... So far, all I'm hearing is good things. Number six. Some 10 million is spent by private and local public sponsors for cloud seeding efforts. But these projects are not designed as scientific experiments, and it is difficult to say for sure that operational cloud seeding causes the claimed results. Number seven, knowledge about hurricanes is improving with good models of their behavior, but the experience in modifying their behavior is primitive so far. It is inherently difficult to find enough test cases, especially since experiment, experimentation on typhoons in the Western Pacific has been blocked for the time being by international political objections. Number eight, although the Soviets and some U.S. private operators claim some success in suppressing hail by seeding clouds, our understanding of the physical processes that create hail is still weak. The one major U.S. field experiment increased our understanding of severe storms, but otherwise proved mostly the dimensions of what we do not yet know. Number nine. Well, they figured that one out. Yep. Number nine. There have been many efforts to suppress lightning by seeding thunderstorms. 
our knowledge of the processes. Well, I if and, you could just lube it. Yeah, exactly. Just dump a bunch of KY in the clouds. What if you had to aerate it? Is it okay to spray KY? Why, why would I don't understand? That's that would, well, cause that would suppress can, lightning. Because lightning's created yeah. by friction between yeah, the would, clouds. Yeah, that's a good idea. Hmm. Maybe that's what they're doing. Our knowledge of the processes involved is fair, but the technology is still far from demonstrated that the U.S. Forest Service has recently abandoned further lightning experience, experiments. You'd think it'd be more useful to make lightning. Well, you don't think they've for military, tried that? For military, I suppose, for airports, it's better. Or in golf courses. You know, if the golf course could just... You ever got blown off the golf course with lightning? We almost got fucking tornadoed. We were done, though. We really? were, uh, but I've been horned off. Yeah, they blow the horn. Yeah. Everyone has to clear off yeah. for a bit. Yeah, we almost got, we almost seen a tornado touchdown from the patio. Touchdown in Okotoks. Wow. You ready? So, since 1947. Are you listening? Yeah. Since 1947, about 110 weather modification bills pertaining to research support, operations, grants, policy studies, regulations, liabilities, activity reporting, establishment of panels and committees, and international concerns have been introduced into Congress. Resolutions mostly concerned with using weather modification as a weapon and promotion of a United Nations treaty banning such activities have also been introduced in both houses of Congress and one, su- one such resolution was passed by the Senate. It goes on to talk about all the laws. There's federal laws, public laws. The principal involvement in weather modification of the federal government has been through the research and development programs. Defense Department. They were not begun. So the defense, let me see here. Although federal research programs can be traced from at least the period of World War II, the programs of most agencies other than the Defense Department were not begun until the 50s and 60s. These research and development programs have been sponsored at various times by at least eight departments and interdependent interdependent agencies, including the Departments of Agriculture, Commerce, Defense, Energy, Interior, and Transportation, the NASA, and NSF. In 19... Oh, yeah, and and NASA and the NSF. NASA got an NSF? Yeah. The National Scientific Foundation. Total funding for the weather modification research in fiscal year 1978 this was 78 actually 78 went down a bit it was 17 million and the highest level was in 1976 which was 20 million that's about 85 million today so it's not a terrible amount of money it's not you know 20 million in the 70s not obscene not obscene During the 10-year period from 1958 to 68, the NSF, the National Science Foundation, is that what it's called? Is that what the abbreviation is? I'm okay with all this stuff so far. Well, you're going to be okay. What do you mean, okay with it? Sounds legit. That's the point. On the up and up. That's the point. Nobody talks about this ever? I mean, I'm okay with the practice. 
Really? Yeah. <clears throat> During the 10-year period from 58 to 68, the NSF promoted a vigorous research program through grants to various research organizations, established an advisory panel for weather modification, and published a series of 10 annual reports on weather modification. In the United Nations, the United States has been active in promoting the adoption of a treaty banning weather modification as a military weapon. In 1975, 76, and 77, respectively, there were 58, 61, and 88 non-federally supported weather modification projects, nearly all operational, conducted throughout the United States. These projects were sponsored by community associations, airlines, utilities, private interests, municipal districts, cities, and states. The majority of these operational projects were designed to increase precipitation. Others were intended to suppress hail or dispersal of fogs. Many of the operational weather modification services provided by private groups and government bodies within the states are carried out under contract by commercial firms who have developed expertise in a broad range of capabilities, who specialize in particular services essential to both operational or research projects. But how many, what does it go to? How many pages left? What number are we on? There's a lot of pages left. What do you mean what number are we on? Are you not listening? <laughs> Yeah, there's, I mean, you know, there's quite a bit left. I could still get to uh, the conclusions. There's 17 conclusions. No, there's 20 conclusions. And then I got a couple pages uh, before that. So you want to stop now? Yeah. For then we'll save the rest of the summary and conclusions for the next segment. Yeah, we're already getting a bit long. We still got a bit of shit to get into. Because it is as captivating as it is. I think I'm okay with it. How come you're not okay with it? I am. I'm. Well, what do you mean? Okay, I don't understand no, what you mean by like okay with it. Against it. No, that's okay. not my point. The point okay. is, is that it's been going on since the '40s. We've been fucking around with the weather. Mm-hmm. So don't fuck with the weather and the climate, and then blame the debt slaves that it's oh. us fucking around and creating global warming. That's really my point. Up on that, you're really taking that one personally. No, not really. It's just, it's just obviously humans are making some kind of difference, right? But not that much of a difference. Maybe. Because mm-hmm. how do you know? How do you measure something when it's been fucked with? How do you weather, weather the measure? How do you measure the weather, the climate somewhere, if you've been messing around with it for decades? Where, where does cloud busting how, fit in? That's what this is. Cloud busting. Cloud seeding. Cloud busting. Creating clouds. Dispersing clouds. How do you think they're seeding these things? With their fucking mind? If you I mean, that's that okay? what William Reich said. The organ energy, you can cloud bust, right? Same with Ingo Swan. Yeah. But this is like Maybe technical. that's worse. This is like flying. What, how do you think they do this? With planes. No Back shit. in the fucking, for decades. That's fine. Okay, so for people to think that there's nothing going on. William is an all-in-believer in That's going to be handy. Doesn't it, doesn't it kind of open up the Pandora's box a little bit to like maybe other realities, what the fuck's been going on for decades. You're preaching to the choir. Well, I guess you've got one. 
Well, I'm not trying to. Pre- I'm just trying to like, talk what, about it because it's interesting to, to me. What? I know what you're what? up to. Awesome. What do you mean? Is that is this like a little little shot in the gut for old JB? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, I find it. I find it fascinating because nobody talks about this. Nobody talks about the reality of weather modification all over the world. This isn't just happening in the States. Think about this. It's been how many years now? Since the 40s? Yeah. 80? Coming up on 80 years of fucking around with the weather. More like 70. 70. Still a long time. Yeah. That's like. And this is back when really technology, like in the 70s, I don't know, wasn't that good. I mean, imagine what they're doing now. What about all the other countries? I mean, there's all kinds of speculations you can make. And of course, there's speculations right now. I haven't made it through the whole report, but this is back, you know, when I was eight years old. You are already eight? Yeah. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> oh. So, yeah. What do you want to do now? Um, Bag for money, I suppose. Bag? Well, not bag, well, ask. Oh, yeah, I do have a couple other things to talk about, but I guess go go for the upgrade thing. Yeah, we're still running our thing. We actually, it slowed down for a bit, but then it picked up again. Really? So where are we at now then? So we're... We're we're, We're uh, almost at about 50%. We're raising money for a new recording computer, and uh, we're about 50% there? Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, check out growamerica.ca slash upgrade. You can get entries there, uh, one for 20 or three for 50. Uh, the winner, of course, will be drawn on June 1st, either June 1st or when we sell all the tickets. And they'll get to come on the show with the guest of their choosing. They'll get an iPad and uh, some Grand America swag. It'll be gnarly. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah, thanks to everybody who's already entered slash contributed yeah and thanks to uh, of course check out grammarica.ca slash support for all the different options on uh, how to sign up for a monthly uh, a monthly subscription or one time donations there as well um, we did get a few new subscribers last week so that's always uh, promising we had a couple people uh, we noticed some people upgrade their subscriptions and stuff like that too so big thanks to all the people last week doing that and uh, yeah, it just helps pay the bills those monthlies. Like yeah, the totally. price of one Starbucks, uh, you know, if, if everyone uh, if everyone paid a buck a show, we'd be we wouldn't have to talk about it. Yeah. Well, check all that shit out, and of course. Do you want to spell that? You go ahead. G R A H A M. And everyone will know my password. Dot. Or at GrahamAmerica.com. So I got a couple of things to talk about still. Um, there's a No Agenda meetup in Red Deer. And we've talked about No Agenda, the podcast before. And it's another listener-supported uh, show. We've got, I think, four... I actually sent them some nasty feedback today. You, you did? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why? Well, because they were complaining about how grimy New York City is. Oh, I saw that, yeah. And I was like, find a different word, boys. We're kind of working on branding over here. Yeah. 
So we have four people. There's a, there's one in May, May 28th is our date, Saturday, May 28th in Red Deer. We don't have a location yet, but it's at three o'clock. There's a few of us going. So people that listen to know. That's not the long weekend, is it? No. Okay. No. So people have signed up and said they can't go as well. So at least we can kind of start tracking some no agenda listeners and have some meetups and stuff. And it's great to talk to people about these things. Is David in there? David's not in there yet. No. You should. Yeah. So people, so local people, like a lot, I mean, a lot of, it's a different type show. I mean, I, I wouldn't really go if, if you don't listen to the show because people will just be talking about the no agenda show and stuff. And I'll probably so go. Yeah. Yeah. Darren will go. I'll go. Some of our friends, I'm sure. Avon should go. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, um, meetup.com slash no agenda. I'll put a link in the show notes. And the other thing I got to talk about is we got contacted from a... Um, C-SETI? A production... A production... Uh, call it... What do you even call it? I'll call it, it getting sued. Anyways, they're they're putting on this TV show. They've they've done all kinds of TV shows. It's called uh, Temple Street Productions. They've done pretty big big stuff, and they wanted us to talk about uh, there's a paranormal video footage that they want. So what they're saying here is um, they're looking for people to submit their paranormal videos, and they have to be vetted and all. And it has to be your own video. And then you'll actually get paid for it if they put it on the show. And they're also asking for paranormal experts as well. Now, it sounded pretty legit, but I mean, what do I know? I have no experience at all in sussing out TV shows. I know that a lot of people have been burned in the past. Like a lot of friends we know in the field, they won't even go back on TV shows. But I really think this is supposed to be like, you know, credible, um, you know, a credible show that's not going to change things around, but who knows? So they're looking for uh, various fields like cryptozoologists, ghost experts, ET historians, cryptid experts, mediums, demonologists, spirit guides, etc. And it's going to be a big uh, TV series on a U.S. network. So I don't know. I thought we, because they want like people's videos, I thought it would be, it kind of fits into our our podcast because we like to share people's experience. So if anybody has a video that they think is interesting enough, then uh, check out the link in the show notes. It's um, Temple Street Productions. And uh, yeah, there you have it. There you have it. What else you got? I think that's about... Did you say one more thing? Yeah, I thought I did, but uh, that was that. The NA Meetup. Yeah, that's about it, buddy. All right. So it's back in my ball and court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down the pipe. I suppose that's all I got, too. Right on. We're getting long here anyway. These yeah. people are sick of listening to us. Yeah. So thanks for listening and yeah. thanks for helping out. And enjoy the uh, enjoy the chat with Jamie. It was a fun one. And uh, we'll pick you up after that.
Well, I'm super excited tonight. We've got Jamie Jan over here, who is actually like uh, the official emissary for scientists. Emissary. emissary. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, Darren, for Nassim Harriman of the Resonance Project. We've talked about Nassim's work uh, a couple times on the show. I saw him in Calgary deliver like, I don't know, four or five hour chat. It was pretty mind blowing. So we're super happy to have uh, Jamie here to talk about this. He's also a, a multi-instrumentalist and master of the ancient percussion. And he really, the ancient percussion instrument called the, the hammered dulcimer. He kind of merges art and science. Darren and I were, were watching some cool videos. Really the takes show. traveling musician to the next step too. <laughs> yeah. Put it this way. What, what's your Skype say? Uh, Festival Earth, Jamie? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, welcome welcome to the show. You've also traveled like festivals. I want to talk to you about the festival culture as well. You've gone to like 50 of them. It must be a completely different view of like what's going on in the world. So, I mean, there's a, a shit ton to talk about here. I don't even know where to get started, but welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, I was at Nassim's lecture here in Calgary, and it was pretty mind-blowing. I took a bunch of notes. I mean, I, I tried to string together like some sort of articulate sentence about it and it was virtually impossible so i really don't know how you do it i've listened to a couple of your lectures now and you really do a good job of wrapping up his work so i don't want to get too deep into that right away but um maybe just a quick story about uh, how you how you got involved in the same stuff well i think like you and like everybody else i started wondering about the universe and how the hell all of this got here and who are we and how do we fit in and what's this thing that people call God and how does that fit in and all the giant questions, right? As soon as I got old enough to form those questions, I was pretty confused because I had heard a bunch of different things from a bunch of different people about how reality works and my experience was pretty different than those things. And so I was straight up confused and uh, sought out information, you know, over a period of time. Uh, and then fast forward to 2002 and I see this guy Nassim Harmain speak and he connected more dots than anybody that I had come across before. And yeah. a lot of things that didn't make sense started to make sense. And I honestly didn't understand what the hell he was talking about really, because I'm a layman, I'm not a physicist. And so he was saying some things that I didn't understand other things I did, but it was enough to be curious. And then over a long period of time, I saw him speak many times and, Eventually, he taught me how to deliver his uh, presentations for him so that he could stay in his lab and do research and write papers and raise his family. Because <laughs> you could, you know, cruise around the earth your entire life being like, hey, check out what I figured out so far in my life. Yeah. And yeah. do that for, you know, years. And it's not as productive as continuing to, figure to do the out. research. Yeah. But at the same time, it's important to put the information out because he's changing the paradigm of you know how we think about the universe yeah. know, on a fundamental level and so i you know i do it partly uh because i feel like i owe it to the universe to create mo more coherency in our local environment around here because as you can see there's a lot of not coherent <laughs> behavior and systems and everything and it's based partly on our perception yeah uh-oh our perception, our perceptions of reality. Yeah. So before I forget to mention it, that's the resonance project as well. And I wanted to mention you guys have some, I think you guys have some courses or like an on, it's like kind of like an online thing or there's weekend things as well for people to get deep into this and learn it themselves. So before the end of the show, let's remember to, to, to bring that up quickly. 
Yeah, the Resonance Academy. That's yeah. the kind of like educational uh, platform that's been developed by NASIM and the Resonance Project Foundation over a series of years. Because as you're going to see, and as you could tell, like how long did NASIM speak for in Calgary on that modern knowledge well, tour? Well, put it this way. I think he was last uh, of the day. Uh, he must have started about uh, one or two and there was supposed to be a uh, a panel discussion afterwards, but he was on such a roll that he just blew right through the whole, like, basically the evening. I think it, the, it went late without the panel discussion, so it must have been three or four hours probably. Right, and three and four hours is about, like, the, the smallest skimming of the information you can do to, like, deliver a really coherent view of unified field theory, which is what he's doing. He's coming up with... You know, a way of describing the entire universe, every single thing in the universe from infinitely big to infinitely small. And so the details of how that works could take him a hundred hours to tell you, right? And I've done, you know, these weekend workshops that, you know, I talk for 20 hours or whatever over the course of a weekend, but to really deliver it all, uh, it takes a lot of time. And so now formatting it online, you can actually go through a course that has modules and it breaks it down and it goes all the way from like, the history of thought and the development of science in the first place to the details of physics and the standard model to what's wrong with the standard model to what maybe could be a way of fixing some of the issues in the understanding that we have currently. And then uh, the unified physics that Nassim has written and the implications and applications of this physics going forward, which is you know immense. Um, as soon as you understand how the universe works, Hopefully, then you can actually collaborate with the universe instead of literally blowing it up, quote unquote, to make energy, even though, as we know, energy is everywhere. Right now, we're just blowing stuff up left and right, combustion, and we already know beyond a reasonable doubt that that is not a good idea for our environment. And so we better figure this out quick. Like, we don't have very much time to be like, oh, yeah, how are we going to rebuild our energy grid again? Um <laughs> You could build a lot of windmills and a lot of solar panels, and that would help, I'm sure. But that's more like a bridge technology. We're talking about um, being able to understand how to like make serious energy directly from the structure of space-time itself. That's what this all cuts down to, is once you understand um, the physics of the universe, then you might be able to tap into the creation process that the universe is using to create itself all the time everywhere in other words pair production is that pair production yeah in other words every single thing we're made up uh, made of is made of these atoms and protons that have existed since the big bang and have not stopped spinning and Mm. don't slow down ever even a little (laughs) talk about like people that say there's no such thing as a free energy device or an over unity device you're made of them what are you talking about (laughs) No, i like that point yeah it's like come on people and so you take, you take the blinders off and you take the boxes away because there's no boxes to think outside of in the first place. And then you say, oh, I see. <laughs> now it's a little different. Oh, cool. Now we're going to get somewhere. We're going to be able to transform our society and make things a lot more fun around here and a lot less pain and suffering and yeah. things that don't make sense. I was at my friend's house the other night watching some video that was edited together from this guy in Quebec. You, you may have heard of him. I'm not sure, but his name is Daniel Palmerlow, I think. Palmer, mm-hmm. Palmerlow. And he's mm-hmm. made these like little, kind of like Tesla-type little coils of uh, 
electricity and it, and it's it's basically free energy but the problem is he's autistic he's older he doesn't know how it works he's basically intuitively made these and i think nasa's checked them out i mean all kinds of people have checked them out but this guy's also the guy that did the video he's also experimented with the keshi stuff as well and they're not having all the people that, that we know in that sort of paradigm working on cashy stuff can't they can't really get any any good results yet this you know yet this autistic guy who doesn't really know what he's doing is producing some sort of free energy so how how long do you think it's going to be before we see this stuff breaking through into the mainstream or or is it sort of happening already at an underground level well it's definitely happening on an underground level there's no question um and you know depending on who you believe, um, you know, some of this stuff has been happening on a very high scale within the military industrialized complex of multiple nations on this planet for decades. And, uh, some of that stuff might be reverse engineered and yeah, yeah, I'm kind of alluding to extraterrestrial stuff. And as soon as you start talking extraterrestrials at all, in any context on this planet at this time, automatically, unfortunately, a certain percentage of the population will instantly like either turn off their brain, roll their eyes or give you a funny look. Other people will widen their eyes and be like, Oh cool. Somebody is actually willing to talk about this thing that I'm not sure of. And other people are like, thank goodness that you're actually bringing this up because this is the real deal. And it's about time we actually talk about it. Yeah. And it's so, very polarizing. Yeah. And so it's one of these things, you know, that like if you want to be taken seriously as a physicist and you're going to mention extraterrestrials in the same sentence, then you're up against a serious tide in 2016. We're still in the dawn ages. You know what I'm saying? We still like beat each other over the head with sticks because our books say different things. I mean, we're talking (laughs) primitive culture, you know, I mean, (laughs) pull out, uh, you know, a thousand years from now and look back on now and the great, the great, 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 great grandchildren of ours are going to be like, whoa, my great, 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 great grandfather was like, they still discriminated against different colors of the same species. I mean, this is before the green and the blue and the purple people came to that planet, you know, (laughs) they were still like discriminating against different colors of the same homo sapien uh, species. So like, (laughs) They had a little ways to go in how to figure out how to operate in this universe. I mean, you think dogs are racist? (laughs) You think like if a white dog was by a black dog down the street, it's just like you motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's just like when you really think about what's going on here, it's it's just it's silly. And yet, yet it's also seems like every time. I don't know. It seems like I guess it is when you when you go back. Depending on how far you go back, it's getting better. But oh, then it's definitely right now better, it's like being I, drummed up, right? Seems like yeah, it's being I mean, drummed up to get worse right now. It's getting better. It's it's definitely getting better faster and faster like it's supposed to. But, you know, when you're talking about exponential growth, it's like, you know, if you grow from the size of an atom to the size of a bacteria, you've gone billions of times. But a bacteria is still way smaller than a cell, which is smaller than you know, an organ, which is smaller than your body, which is smaller than the earth, which is smaller than the solar system and the galaxy, which is a tiny little dot in the supercluster. And our galaxy is a tiny little dot in Laniakea, the supercluster that our galaxy is part of, which is part of another larger structure, which is part of this little tiny bubble that we call the universe, which was likely a proton 
that escaped the event horizon of another universe and encountered such a different change of density that it had to rapidly inflate to equalize the density. And that is what we perhaps call the Big Bang. In other words, our universe might be a proton inside of a molecule of water being drunk by a giant extraterrestrial in another universe. Who knows? <laughs> Could be like that. That's what I and think it just is. Like, little boxes around everything like oh my god we're growing so quickly it's like okay yeah and when i was a little kid i remember i remember seeing a cartoon where we like zoomed in on some cartoon dude's arm and it like right. kept zooming in and then when it got in there there was a whole little fucking city of people driving around and going to work sure. and you know and it, ever since that that's always stuck with me you know like how yeah the emptiness of the universe, uh, how it seems like it's so empty. And when you look at atoms and stuff like that, it's kind of the exact same sort of thing. Yeah, it's the same dynamic and the same structure, uh, geometric uh, arrangement of how matter works from the quantum to the cosmological. And so that's what Nassim has done is written the math for how everything is connected by the one thing that connects everything everywhere you go, which is what we call space. And right. we think of space as empty, but it's actually filled with these tiny little vibrations called Planck, uh, Planck vibrations or like Max Planck discovered the smallest vibration that the electromagnetic spectrum does. And he called it the Planck length. And that's the smallest. You can think of it as like the pixel size of our existence. There's yeah, yeah. 10 to the 60 of these little vibrations inside of a proton. Uh, that's a one with 59 zeros after it inside of a proton. And if each one of those little Planck spherical vibrations called PSUs or uh, Planck spherical units, if each one of those was the size of a grain of sand, your proton would be the diameter of from here to Alpha Centauri, 4 trillion miles away. So <laughs> 10 to the 60 grains of sand <laughs> is pretty big. And 10 to the 60 Planck pixels is a proton, which is absolutely tiny compared to an atom. Uh, billions of times smaller. Where do, uh, ha, hasn't he hasn't he been measuring the mass of a proton too? What's the density a of a proton? I just watched that video with Neil Adams the other day where it's nine hundred and twenty. Nine hundred and twenty. Nine hundred and twenty little balls make up a proton. Well, no, Nassim is saying that uh, ten to the sixty little balls make up a proton, uh, and they're Planck spherical units. Um, so an extraordinary number, and those little balls are like the pixel size of the universe that we're in right now. Um, the more of these little things that you can get to coordinate, the more coherency you have. Just like if you had a swimming pool with a with a whirlpool in there, you can't pull the whirlpool out of the pool. That's part of the structure of the water where all those uh, where all the water is acting in coordination and you might think of it as a fluid but it's really pixelated it's it's actually quantized it's made of these little dots if you will called water molecules and those molecules are quantized into quantas called atoms and the atoms are quantized into protons neutrons and electrons and the protons are quantized into Planck pixels 10 to the 60 of them. <laughs> and so the more Planck pixels you can get to operate together, the more coherency you have. Like our bodies are 100 trillion cells, each one of them made out of 100 trillion atoms, and they're all working perfect coordination. All you have to do is eat, sleep, drink, and dream, and everything else happens just fine. <laughs> and we wonder, wow, that's what a coincidence. We're so lucky that life somehow spontaneously evolved from the primordial soup. 4.34 billion years ago. Yeah, I'm sure that's how that happened. 
I'm just upset by how much stuff, looking back on my education in public schools, how much stuff I was taught that turns out to be absolutely, completely wrong. And I got an A on the test and I answered the answers correctly and it's all incorrect. (laughs) And some of that stuff, I hate to think of it, has not been changed in those textbooks. And we're still teaching kids things that are incorrect right now. <laughs> and so if if they're not going to do it, I'm going to go out and lecture about this new theory because, hey, guess what? It makes a lot more sense than uh, the stuff that I was taught in school that like I'm an insignificant dot on some insignificant planet and the universe is random, you know, and we're lucky life evolved from like total chaos and all this stuff. Man, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I think what Darren was talking about there about the proton was, uh, and I heard you mention uh, this guy's work as well in one of your lectures. And we just had Neil Adams on. Um, he talked about the growing earth theory there and his videos on, on um, like when he shrinks the planets in the earth and how he puts them all together. Yep, makes and, total sense. And he was... Uh, he was doing this video of creating a proton out of prime matter particles. I think that's what Darren was talking about. He was putting all these. That's right. That's together. what I was. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, it's fascinating. So Darren's been Darren been wrapped up in this this growing Earth theory. It's kind of been mind blowing. And I heard you mention it too. So it's interesting how you guys are on the same wavelength as far as that goes. Well, you know that would make sense, and it ties into Nassim's theory, which is basically that everything in the universe is centered by stillness. It's centered by a singularity. So he has the math to describe that black holes are not just these giant cosmological black funnels in the space-time continuum that you can't see and that suck in stars and things like this. He's saying that every star in the universe is a black hole with plasma around it Hmm. Uh, and that every really every planet also is centered by a black hole. So if the Earth is centered by a black hole, Where do all the atoms of the universe come from? They come from stars, right? All the stars in your right hand come from, you know, some star somewhere out there in the galaxy. And there could be very well atoms in your other hand that come from a different star. So we are literally made of stardust from across the galaxy, making us galactic beings. But that's a whole other story. The fact is that the atoms that are made up the Earth might be very well also coming from the event horizon of a small singularity in center of the earth, which means matter production, which means the earth would very gradually get bigger over time. And sure enough, when you shrink all the planets and all the moons around all the planets in our solar system, all the lines up, all the lines like this lines on Titan line up like a jigsaw puzzle. And so he's done very good job mapping that stuff and uh, making YouTube videos of it. Um, I first came across it from Nassim, himself. So Nassim is down with that uh, the growing earth theory because uh, it would make sense that you would have a life cycle of a star and a life cycle of all black holes, just like you have a life cycle in all biology. It's kind of just the way the universe works. Uh, and the black holes are there first, and then the galaxies form around it, and they shear off smaller black holes called stars, which shear off smaller black holes called protons. And so you can check out Nassim Haramein's paper called the Schwarzschild proton, which is the math showing that a proton obeys the Schwarzschild condition of a black hole. Wow. So, so the, uh, and then there's a, 
a shape or a a pattern to this creation, right? Like you, you guys have uh, articulated the the torsion field, right? Like the universe is being created in a sort of a torsion field, and then would that be the same for the Earth and all the all the little black holes around there too? That the matter is sort of spiraling in that direction. Yeah, basically, um, all black holes on all scales would have the same dynamics, um, which is a dual toroidal field meaning a donut and a donut, the, the energy spiraling down like water going down the drain uh, towards stillness in one hemisphere and then spinning in the opposite direction towards stillness in the other hemisphere. Einstein talked about space-time curving, but he didn't add the math for the fact that everything is spinning because the space-time isn't just curving, it's curling like when water goes down the drain. When you pull the plug out of your bathtub, the water doesn't just go straight down, it spins and there's an equal and opposite spin of air going up because you have a change in density. And so any place you find a change in density, you get spin. And that's the source of why everything in the world is spinning. Like, I mean, the universe, the galaxies, the planets, the stars, the atoms, the, the field of energy surrounding a human body. It's all spinning all the time. It's spin within spin fractally and holographically. So the information in each boundary condition is actually projected holographically onto the event horizon surface area of that sphere. And then uh, it's encoded um, fractally from the infinitely small to the infinitely large. That's how the universe can maintain its coherency. The universe is understanding how to communicate information across these incredible scales all at the same time. 122 orders of magnitude from the quantum to the cosmological. It's such a weird prediction in physics that they call it the vacuum catastrophe because it's a catastrophe how little they understand how there can be such a change in density from the quantum to the cosmological. And the Sims' latest paper, which is, I think, unpublished and coming out soon, deals with this uh, cosmological constant problem and the vacuum catastrophe and solves it. And the sim also, by the way, uh, it's very uh, new, very unknown that the sim is just now solving for the electron, huh. something that he hasn't done before. And that is also unpublished. And I'm eagerly awaiting to see uh, those results in those papers. And he's getting uh, some, and he's getting some too. backing now too, right? And some people that are getting genuinely interested in these papers, some physicists themselves, right? Yeah, he's starting to get cited, and um, he actually got to present re recently at the Royal Society in, in, in London, which is wow. kind of the most respected physics department on the planet. And he told me a story of a, of a guy from CERN checking out his paper and, and like pointing to his chart about how all these equations tie together. And he was asking him questions, and the sim told him how it all worked, and the guy was like, whoa, that's <laughs> He said, this was the quote, that's disturbing. <laughs> and the reason accent. he said it was disturbing is because if Nassim is correct about what he's saying, yeah. then you might not have needed to spend all $10 billion or whatever it was to build the particle accelerator at CERN. You know, we might have been able to feed the starving babies in Africa first and then try to find the smallest thing in the universe, even though we always find something smaller when we knock more energy in there and knock those things together. It's kind of insane what's going on in science right now, I have to say. Yeah, no kidding. So he's getting lots of support now. He's What was the paper coming out We're called? We're lucky to have that. I mean, really, most of the science nowadays is going into making bigger bombs. 
Yeah, I don't know what the name of the paper is. Uh, I do know that he um, is uh, working on getting that published, and I don't really have much detail on it. I just know that he's uh, got some stuff coming down the pipe. And uh, yeah, there was it. a paper on on consciousness that he wrote with William Brown, who uh, works at the Resonance Project, and also Dr. Amira Val Baker. Um, and that one, uh, William presented last summer, and uh, in Portugal, and I think it's coming out in a journal shortly. And uh, does, doesn't he have a movie? Isn't there a movie coming out about the connected universe? I have a note here from when I saw him yeah. here. Yeah, there's a movie that's being made by a filmmaker named Malcolm Carter yeah. called The Connected Universe. Um, he was inspired by Nassim's work and, uh, you know, thought that Nassim deserved to have a feature film about his uh, nice. you know, groundbreaking science and a little bit about his life too, but mostly about universe and the science that Nassim is presenting. And so that film has been being worked on for a very long time. Uh, they did a very successful Indiegogo campaign to raise money for the film. And uh, it was actually the most successful uh, Indiegogo campaign for a documentary film ever. And they were so stoked on it that they've worked on a, a collaboration with Vimeo. And the film is almost done they're in the final editing phase nice. and i think that there's going to be a theatrical release in the summertime and uh later in the year a full uh release through you know digital channels and vimeo and uh, indiegogo and all that stuff and i've seen the film in its near final stages and a bunch of us have been like you know putting in ideas for um, how to better describe the science and um, cause it's a lot, it's, it's hard to describe all this stuff in a film and make it, you know, accessible and beautiful and uh, resonant and perfectly accurate to what Nassim's uh, equations say and still be able to get the, the vibe across and the, and the information across. So that's why it's taken a while to get it right. Cause we want it to be, you know, uh, perfectly representative of the work. Yeah. Wow. That's got to be difficult. So, so you're, you're happy, but you're excited about it though. Yeah, it looks, yeah. it's just gorgeous. And, uh, there's some really great shots of, uh, nature and, um, like demonstrations of the physics and, um, like examples of what holography is like and, you know, geometry. Uh, cause a lot of this has to do with the structure of space and the study of structure in space is this discipline called geometry. <laughs> and so uh, the question is, what is the geometry of the structure of the vacuum of space-time that would account for the fact that space is completely filled with energy, even though we perceive it as to be completely empty? And the answer is this is perfectly balanced, perfect equilibrium uh, of geometry that is scalable holographically from infinitely big to infinitely small and it has to do with tetrahedral array and overlapping um, those spherical waveforms that are inside the proton. Um, when you pack a bunch of spheres together and they perfectly fit together and perfectly fill the space, it's a tetrahedral geometry that connects the center of all those spheres. And so basically what we're talking about is a three-dimensional flower of life symbol. Yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking. So, and then yeah. the seed of life is the smaller one? The seed of life is just a smaller bit. It's like of a cutout of the flower of life, right? Yeah, you need to develop out onto the seed of life to get to the flower of life. And the flower of life is 
if you took a 64 tetrahedron grid, which is two octaves of this perfectly balanced geometry that was coined by Buckminster Fuller as the cube octahedron, mm-hmm. then you'll get this uh, three-dimensional flower of life symbol. And if you shined a light through it onto a two-dimensional surface, you would see these overlapping circles forming 84 petal shapes called the vesica Pisces. And that symbol has been in ancient cultures all over the world, and it's not an accident that it happens to be the geometry of how the Planck spherical pixels that make up the very structure of protons, therefore all the matter in the universe, happen to arrange themselves. And that is not a coincidence. It is not an accident. And so that's where Nassim's physics actually reaches back to ancient cultures. And then you ask, how did these ancient cultures get this information? And the answer might be that they got it from somewhere not on our tetra, extra tetra real information, as like like to call it, extraterrestrial information. And so all of a sudden you're going, wait a minute, we're in physics, and then you're in ancient cultures, and then you're in extraterrestrials all at the same time because it's all connected by the structure of the one thing that's everywhere, no matter where you go, the geometry of space-time, as encoded into documents, monuments, and traditions of ancient cultures all around the world. The I Ching, the Mayan calendar, the Torah, the Quran, the Bible, you name it, they're all talking about the same geometry. What's the petal called? Would the petal be like the 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 representation of the plank line? Like the, the petal, you know, like the single petal like on the, like the single part of the hologram. Because I always thought it's the no, single the single petal, petal of the, the flower of life. You know, there's like that little fucking eyeball looking shape. Kind of the, the petal is called the vesica Pisces, and that is the overlapping waveforms of two spherical uh, uh, waveforms, like a sphere of influence. And so, really, those petals are not two dimensional. There's no such thing as a two dimensional thing. So, any symbols. From ancient cultures, the yin-yang, the tree of life, the flower of life, they're all trying to represent three-dimensional structures, but they're flattened down because they wrote them on a flat surface, quote-unquote flat, right? Right. And so there's a guy actually named uh, Neil Evans, or uh, what's his name? Michael Evans, forget his name, um, who came up with the idea of the Vesica Pisces actually being a platonic solid with curved sides, a three-sided solid a petal structure that starts with a point and then it curves and then it goes to another point. And that's basically like all flowers, right? And all leaves, uh, three-dimensional eyeball shape kind of thing. Uh, so that's very interesting. And that stuff is all should be probably spinning and jitterbugging in and out. If you check out videos of Buckminster Fuller showing the jitterbug of the geometry as it collapses from icosa to dodeca to octahedron to uh, cube to tetrahedron, it all kind of, uh, you know, is warping in and out, uh, information crossing back and forth across the event horizon of, uh, you know, spinning toroidal black hole dynamics um, of these little spheres as they create all of the reality that we see around us. Huh. It always makes me think of that. This I had this UFO sighting in, in Israel, a, right? In, in Tel Aviv. Well, I got to mention it because it's a I fucking know. platonic I just, solid. I love this story. It was a it was a dodecahedron shaped craft, but it was split in half, and the halves were splitting against its against themselves, and the whole thing was rotating. And me and four other people saw it. They saw it twice. I saw it once. But ever since then, this this shape, like the dodecahedron, is one of the platonic solids. And I don't know if it was 12-sided or 20-sided. It. it was multi-sided. I don't know. But it sure reminds me of the stuff you're talking about. Weren't you, like, 
thinking that you wanted to see it too. Yeah, I was call, I was looking <laughs> up in the sky, out to it. saying, "Please come back, please come back. I want to see you. I want to see you because I missed the first sighting." So, like, I mean, maybe it's uh, some sort of natural. Uh, fuck, I don't even know. What do you What do you say to that? <laughs> Man, well, it sounds like you're, uh, well, it would make sense that any ships uh, that are operating on uh, high technology are going to be, uh, you know, acting in accordance with this fundamental dynamic and this fundamental geometry. So that's why a lot of these ships are toroidal uh, in the first place, like saucers. And uh, hmm. they do kind of pop in and out really quick. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, it's so interesting. So I wanted to talk to you about a little bit about more of a, a human type thing. Like you're a musician, you play all these kind of instruments and music has a, a, a profound effect on people, like the vibration. I've got some personal stories I could tell you too about instruments affecting me. But um, it, it, like how, do, how do, does that, I got a couple questions around that. Like did that play a part in your resonance with what Nassim's doing like you being a longtime musician and creating art and music and this this vibration that you're always creating that affects people and then now you're following Nassim's work and then also like how does that have you thought about how that physically works in our bodies like how does certain songs and certain tunes resonate with me but they won't resonate with somebody else or like they make you cry for example right well it's if you want to get down to the physics of it uh you can visualize it really nicely. Uh, it's called cymatics. Yeah. And so check out um, videos and uh, images online. Just search cymatics and you'll see that various frequencies of sound and it works for, for light and all different kinds of frequencies create different geometries. The geometry and structure of the physical matter that we're made of is very much influenced by vibration. Yeah, uh, And so tuning is important and there's a, a movement to start tuning instruments differently to a different set of frequencies than we commonly tune to right now right. due to uh, an understanding of what the resonant frequencies are in our local environment, meaning the earth has a resonant frequency called the Schumann resonance. And if you tune yourself and your environment and your music to be in resonance, literally, with the frequency of the fundamental frequency of the earth, hmm. which is slightly, slightly changing over time, um, then maybe it would have some positive effect on like your emotions and <laughs> the way you feel and the your ability to um, tap into you know subtler aspects of our reality. I mean, obviously, there's some people out there that are more sensitive than other people. <laughs> Would synesthesia, synesthesiacs be at like the extreme upper end of the spectrum? Well, yeah. And then there's, you know, people that we consider, some people consider them crazy, right? Like uh, uh, people that are, say that they're telepathic, that can channel, that can do remote viewing. This stuff is actually proven, right? The, yeah, men, that, yeah. the men that stare at goats, that yeah. whole thing, the CIA and the remote viewing thing. That's not a fake thing. Like there's monks that can see stuff that's happening not where they are. Yeah. And the reason they can do that is because everything in the universe is connected to everything else in the universe by this structure that I was describing called space-time, where it's these little quantum wormholes connecting everything through this um, you know, infinitely dense superfluid medium that we call space. And if we could see and, it, it would look like the flower of life? <laughs> 
Uh, if you could see it, it would look like the flower of life on the smallest, smallest, smallest little scale. I mean, I, I guess it happens, it happens on the larger scales too, but it's, uh, the fundamentally it's, it's on such like a small scaffolding. scale. You couldn't really quote unquote see it because the smallest thing that I'm talking about, the Planck's length is the width of a photon of light. And if you can't get a photon of light to bounce off of something and hit your eye, you can't see it because that's how light works. That's how your eye works. You need photons. And if photons can't hit something, that's why it's the fundamental dividing point uh, for our reality that we don't have access to anything smaller than 1.616 times 10 to the negative 33 centimeters, a decimal point with 32 zap zeros after it, and then 1616 centimeters. It's so small that you can't even barely describe it. But I love how you describe the, the raising your vibration. Like, you know, people get a, a hard time with the whole new age thing about raising your vibration, but that's what you're talking about. Like you're talking about physically resonating with a different vibration. Yeah. Yeah, I love. I like that. So, do you think a hard pattern? The fact that you that if you know if you broke everything down to the level that we can't see it, but theoretically it's there, and it all looks like this flower of life, doesn't that at least somehow give the idea of a digital fucking background some sort of credence? What do you mean digital background? Well, I don't know. It just to me, it seems like a hard drive having that when you go down to the smallest level. It's all just like a, I Ones don't know. But to me, it just, like yeah, almost So you're talking binary. about digital universe yeah, theory like, and all that? It really seems well, to start tying in there. Sense. The analogy makes sense because uh, Ms. Sims' physics describes how all this stuff is actually holographically encoded. Right. Um, and the analogy you can use is that you could have a symphony play uh, a piece of music and then holographically encode it onto a CD. And so when you're holding that CD, is the piano on the CD? Like the piano itself isn't, but the information that it was creating has been holographically encoded into these little bits and you can read it with a laser. Uh, and so in that way, uh, all of the information of the entire universe is holographically encoded inside of every, every proton. Proton. Not photon, every proton, proton yeah, which which is the fundamental building block that makes up all the atoms in the universe. So that's perhaps why all the ascended masters were trying to tell people to go inward, because if you get to the singularity in the center of anything, you connect to the singularity in the center of everything, because all the information is holographically encoded, scalar holographic uh, wormholes, really. Uh, what was it's that? Called holo -frac holo yeah. fractographic. I was just going to add, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. The details on this, you know, there's math for this. There's equations for this. And you can break this stuff down. It just takes a long time it to describe the gritty of how or why. to figure you out in some computer in some high school. <laughs> I mean, man, who knows? Every time we think we understand what's going on, we discover how little we actually knew. Yeah, like you mentioned something about that in one of your lectures. It's like, I totally agree with it. It's, everything we'll be, we thought we knew we'll is wrong, right? Eventually it, it becomes time. wrong. But we'll be super sure cocky about it the whole time. Just on your podcast from all the people that you've had on, it was probably over and over, they're saying that same thing about yeah. their disappointment. Our first guest was actually just vindicated a couple of months ago. <laughs> By uh, NASA, 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 not NASA. 
Yeah, NASA finally came out and said that these streaks that he had said was water on Mars back in 2001. NASA's finally come out and admitted it. No, no credit to him. Of no credit. One guy did mention his name on uh, CNN yeah. in a quick blurb. Yeah. So yeah, and the sim predicted that there you'd find a supermassive black hole in the center of every galaxy in the universe over 20 years ago. And he got kicked out of a physics conference for saying that because there was no evidence to back it up at the time. And now every single galaxy we look at, there's a supermassive black hole that started the galaxy in the first place. That's what it is. It's a dynamic in the structure of space. That's what everything is. It's a dynamic in the structure of space. A proton is a dynamic in the structure of space. 20 and years ago, were black holes even discovered yet? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Black yeah, black holes were discovered. Yeah. Einstein just, Einstein came up with black holes in his math. And they were yeah, like, oh, that's but they were theorized. But when did they actually yeah. observe one? Oh, man, I don't know exactly what year it was. Uh, I swear I remember that shit. Probably. Being like a big deal when I was in school. Well, Nassim took the uh, measurements for the first black hole ever confirmed and he scaled down a geometric relationship from the data of that black hole, and he scaled it all the way down to the size of a proton. And based on that geometric relationship, he said, I predict that the charge radius of the proton, because notice this is a charge radius, it's because the proton is actually just a charge. It's just a dynamic in the structure of space. But he said, I predict that the charge radius of a proton is exactly this specific number down to like the 10,000th place or 100,000th place. And it was 4% different than the standard model, which is pretty far off. And then a muonic measurement of the proton came out that was within 0.0036% or something like that of Nassim's prediction, within the margin of error of the experiment. In other words, Nassim might have the exact value and the experiment is getting closer and closer to Jeez, being math. Huh. Yeah. Because it's been... a straight-up relationship that's just built into... It's the dynamic of how much is information on the inside of the event horizon to how much escapes the event horizon that you can perceive on the outside, which is why when they measure the proton, the standard model thinks that it is incredibly light, that it has very, very little mass, and the sim describes the proton as having a lot of mass. <laughs> so much mass that it's really the equivalent of the mass of the universe which is what he's describing, that the information of the universe is holographically encoded inside these Planck pixels uh, inside the proton. And they're, uh, what do they call it when they're linked? Uh, <coughs> it's protons that can link up and space yeah, doesn't matter. Superposition you're talking about? Uh, entanglement? Uh, entanglement, yeah. yeah. Just uh, do, a, do an internet search for uh, quantum wormholes. It's a real thing. It's not science fiction, yeah. you know. There's, there's entanglement is real. You know, things can change their spin at the same time. And it's not like information traveled at the speed of light between those things. It happens at the same time, basically, you know, breaking this law of you can't go faster than the speed of light. As it's going to turn out, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that, uh, you know, the speed of light is not very fast compared to infin infinitely fast. You know what I'm saying? Well, <laughs> gravity already breaks the speed of light, doesn't it? Uh, well, this is the, this is what they're working on is they just dis discovered gravitational waves and they think that they travel Allegedly. at the speed of light, but they don't say that they think they travel faster than the speed of light. But I have a feeling we're going to confirm, I think we already did, that entanglement is proving that, you know, information exchange can happen faster than the speed of light. 
the mechanism of that, as it's going to be, you know, I think further described, is wormholes on various scales. Quantum wormholes exist. There's 10 to the 40 of them coming off the event horizon of a proton that connect to all the other protons around it. And it's through this uh, infinite um, web-like structure that you see in everything from the internet to cities from space to your neural network to rhododendron root systems to mycelial networks to the early galaxy formation models that NASA's built. Uh, it's all the same thing, you know. Um, the universe is one thing, straight up. Wow. And there's now math for it. We have the equation. Connected through the proton network. Yeah, the micro, the quantum wormhole network. Oh, yeah, I must have been channeling Graham's childhood because uh, the first black hole was discovered in 1971. Yeah, the year, oh, nice. after, the year after I was born. There you go, there. Right. There you go. So, I mean, think about it. We're in the one generation of trying to figure out what the hell's going on around here. We're still, like, pretty clueless. We didn't even know the black holes for sure existed when we were, like, infants. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're on a podcast that, you know, was invented, like, eight years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, Ten years ago, the iPod. So I credit it's, Curry. It's funny. <laughs> we're just infants, uh, infants in this galaxy, and I have a feeling that there's a bunch of folks up there, like, rooting for us and cheering and jumping up and down and being <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my God, yeah. they're figuring it out. This, <laughs> yeah. is, this is the most interesting reality television show in the entire galaxy. <laughs> You think? I think it's more like, I don't know, I look at those ancient symbols and I think of it more as uh, maybe there's just more to our history than... I mean, I don't rule out aliens, but somehow I just think it's more likely that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they melted Antarctica if they found some shit under there. You well, know, that's, like, a whole other, that's a whole other uh, topic that ties very strongly into this that I've actually been going deep into which is the uh, ancient history, the hidden origins of our civilization. I'm a big fan of Graham Hancock and uh, Michael Tellinger and um, Robert Schock and Hugh Newman mm -hmm. and Brian Forrester and all these guys. They're going around to megalithic sites and re-looking at stuff and going to the Egyptologists and being like, you guys sound like dogma. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. The Great Pyramid wasn't built as a tomb for Khufu. There is, we know where all the pharaohs are. They're in the Valley of the Kings. There's no mummy ever came out of any pyramid ever. <laughs> and yet you tell the kids, oh, yeah, there are these mummies and they come out of the pyramids. No, sorry. <laughs> that is not correct. And this is like a whole other realm, right? I could go on for hours about the ancient culture stuff, man. You can go Becky Tempe. You can go check out the Bosnian Pyramid. You can go to the Indonesia to this pyramid that they found 22,000 years ago. Yeah. I mean, man, that whole thing. Check out Graham Hancock's new book, uh, Magicians of the Gods. That's talking about the comet that hit the Earth 12,800 years ago and more fragments 11,400 years ago that wiped out this highly advanced culture that was on the planet at the time. And it took like 9,000 years for us to get back to like starting to redevelop our culture until we got to the you know story that we tell the kids today, which is, oh yeah, 10,000 years ago, we were crawling out of our caves and we didn't really know what was going on. We just started barely using tools and making symbols and having language and all this stuff. Man, that is so wrong. <laughs> they just found a shell with etchings on it 
that was made by Homo erectus. So that 10,000 years ago making symbols is only off by 490,000 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's really blowing wide open. Yeah, well, we talked. Did you kids that in school? I hope not. Uh, my wow. kids are just about <laughs> to start school. But you know what? I've been coming around on Common Core. What? Really? When I started really looking at it a little closer, I think it's what I've been doing in my head the whole time. Oh. Yeah, when people I say that I have a trick with numbers, yeah. that's and I'm starting to realize, wait a second, this is what I'm doing. I'm just doing it in my head. When I slow down my process, I, I catch myself doing it now. Yeah. I don't want to get into common core no. here, but yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so what, what did I want to say about that, about the ancient mystery? Oh, yeah, we've had Randall Carlson on talking about that catastrophe stuff. Yeah, uh, and he talks about times, it being yeah. cyclical, right? So maybe this Gobekli Tepe could have been just a, you know, maybe that's not even the prime example. That's just a shitty version, you know, better than this version that we're yeah. working on right now, but still yeah. not as good as the one from, you know, 320,000 years ago. <clears throat> yeah. It's possible. So I wanted to talk to you, speaking of young people in a different generation, you're, you're, you've also traveled all over the world going to festivals, like the whole festival culture thing. And I guess you get a chance to talk about this stuff as well and, and play your music, which is pretty cool. But can you give me an idea? Because I'm, I, I love this electronic music stuff. Like music has a profound effect on me, but I haven't really been to a lot of festivals. I'm kind of a little older now, like 45 and it's just, you know, it's kind of not my thing, but I'm intrigued by the whole culture. Can you touch right. on that at all? Like, are they, are the young people, you know, switched on to this? Are they open to this? Are they, are they, what's it like out there? Well, it's super diverse. I mean, when you say festival culture, it's, you know, it's as diverse as music itself. And the culture that I've been spending most of my time in is the quote unquote transfer transformational festivals and uh, electronic music meets live music kind of festivals, especially right, right. West Coast, West Coast, USA and Canada, and then some of the greats in uh, other countries. Uh, but in a vein similar to each other, I used to do a lot of acoustic music because I play the hammer dulcimer, which is uh, an ancient percussion string instrument that originated in the Middle East. You hit strings. Fucking with crazy! A we got to put the, we'll put hammer. your video in the show notes. We were watching that right before we called you. Oh, cool! Yeah, and so that thing started in Persia two thousand plus years ago, and has evolved to be in all over the world. And I started just kind of playing it on my own uh, in my basement with no instruction. Uh, having been a drummer. And so I, I just started applying my drumming techniques to this instrument and had to figure out this whole thing about notes and chords <laughs> and melodies from scratch. And so I kind of developed my own style uh, because of that. And I got involved in other kind of acoustic music. And then I started playing in bands and started doing electronic music with the hammer dulcimer. And so that's what I mostly do is electronic music with, um, you know, live acoustic Hammer Dulcimer and my partner Resonator is a singer, songwriter, um, composer, and plays keyboards. And so we play together as Janover and Resonator. And I'm able to go to festivals and do a workshop, you know, teaching about the Simhar Maids Unified Field Theory, and then do a set of music as well. And yeah, the people are way open to this. And the festival culture is where all this cross pollination is happening. And, you know, people like, the guys who started Google and Elon Musk and people like that have been going to Burning Man 
uh, and meeting and cross-pollinating there and at other things like that. I'm about to go to my 18th Burning Man in a row this year. Holy. Uh, so I go deep into this stuff uh, for a long time. Um, I should go to Burning Man sometime. Man, we should. man it, it's hard to describe Burning Man. It's kind of like saying, you know, oh, what's India like? And you're like, <laughs> um, well, <laughs> um, having been to India, it's about as difficult to describe as Burning Man. Um you just kind of have been to there go. either. <laughs> yeah, you can sit there and watch it's videos and do as much stuff as you want to try to figure that stuff out. And it's kind of like is it like the first time you really ate a bunch of mushrooms? The first time you eat too many mushrooms? <laughs> Man, there's uh, just an incredibly diverse world of people and uh, culture that are all mashed together in these festivals, so that you can really get a world's worth of experience in a weekend because you're going from a Balinese gamelan performance to some aerial thing to like a giant mural of painters to like uh, a TEDx style uh, workshop series and yoga classes and now they've even expanded it out to be you know um, performance uh, classes and kitchen cooking classes inside of us. I think my wife's going to the Wanderlust and oh, and uh, Wanderlust has got a great model. They do uh, really high quality yoga teachers with cool music at night. It's kind of almost more yoga fo- focused than music focused. And there's a lot of other festivals that are mostly music that have some yoga, and so it's cool. There's a lot of different, a lot of different great balances. I actually produce a festival myself um, yeah. called Sonic Bloom. In Colorado, happens in uh, June at the summer solstice every Ooh, year. We're I've doing been, our eleventh annual this year. I've been looking for an excuse to go to. Colorado. I know. I was going to mention <laughs> this one to you. Cause, so, what's it? What's a good one uh, if you don't partake in any hallucinogens anymore, or any psychedelics? Like, is there well, some any, that are? Is there some that are sort of you know less in, about that than others? Uh yeah. I mean, really, you can go to any one of these festivals yeah. and approach it any way you want. Right. And there's no, there's nothing lost. Uh, people are, I mean, there's families going to these things, right? Cause yeah. like a lot of this culture, they've been touring and going to shows and being interested in this stuff since the early grateful dead days, the fish days, the early electronic music days, the raves of the late nineties, all those people have kids. And if they still want to go, so now there's like a whole generation of people with their kids along with the college age kids and the kids in their 20s too so it it really is a blend oh that's cool okay you know and so i would recommend any festival really from telluride bluegrass festival to burning man uh they're all amazing oregon country fair is really special and interesting and different um as far as electronic music festivals uh some of the greats on the west coast is like symbiosis and lightning in a bottle there's shambhala up in bc is great yeah um Boom Festival in Portugal, uh, Rainbow Serpent Festival in Australia, Benate Festival in New Zealand, Bali Spirit Festival in Bali. I was fortunate enough to play in Egypt uh, on December 21st, 2012, nice. across from the Great Pyramid. Oh, oh, nice. Uh, thanks to the Do Lab, the guys that throw lightning in a bottle, they threw the Great Convergence. Um, so, yeah, there's. <laughs> It's endless, man. I, I just like it's hard for me to stop. I've been I've been actually I'm taking a little bit less little less touring this year. <laughs> I'm slowing down slightly. Well, the good thing is you can talk about all this other stuff you're interested in as well. You can get your art fixed and then you can get your science fixed at the same time. 
Yeah, I would much rather go on festival tour than, uh, you know, bar tour. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it, you know, I've done a lot of, I've played a lot of bars. I've played a lot of clubs and they're all right. <laughs> it's cool. Thank God they stopped uh, letting people smoke in clubs. That was rough, man, before they before they stopped people smoking. Oh. I can't even imagine it anymore. Ooh. And I used to smoke, too. And I look in places now, and, and like, or I'll go to somebody's house, <laughs> and there's smoke in their house, and there's like one guy smoking. And it's just like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> even when I smoked, I didn't smoke in my house for a long time. Like, it's been years since I had a house that I smoked in. I quit a year ago. Yeah. Right. Um, it just seemed crazy. And then when I think back to the bar, there was fucking hundreds of people smoking, like to walk back in there. I'd like to just walk in there today and just have a peek. Cause in Calgary, you weren't even allowed to smoke on the patio. You could smoke in the bar. You couldn't smoke on the patio. I don't get it. That's how, that's, a, that's what the law was. Cause they had a way around it because I think federally they passed a law that you couldn't smoke on patios. But Alberta oh, yeah, was right, still right. behind the times and they were still letting us smoke in the bar. For There was about a year or a year and a half that you could smoke in the bar but not on the patio. <clears throat> so what do you got coming up, Jamie? Uh, this, this, like, are you still talking about this stuff in the next couple months here before your uh, Sonic Bloom? I do a presentation at Sonic Bloom for sure. That's June 16 to 19 in uh, southern Colorado. Along the Front Range. It's near Pueblo. It's really beautiful Spanish Peaks area. Um, but I do have uh, I have a thing where I'm doing an online conference, uh, the 5D conference. I think it's April 7th to 10th. Um, and uh, Dan Winter is speaking and Michael Tellinger is speaking at that one too. Um, oh. And then I'm doing a, a cruise with Nassim in Croatia in October. Really excited about that one's almost sold out though. Uh, small, um, but I'm gonna probably end up doing some talks around Europe. I haven't done a lot of touring in Europe, and so I hope to do some presentations in late October and throughout November in Europe. So, uh, any podcast listeners out there from Europe that want to host a talk on The Sims work i'm starting to book that right now wow we got a ton um, of listeners oh, in the uk i don't know why why the uk so much, oh, cool i'm really hoping to get to london there's a lot of support for nissan in the uk um he's been there a little bit but not a lot of public talks so i hope to go over there um when are you coming back then, to canada uh, i'm not sure exactly what ha is happening this year i did shambhala last year and i'm not going this year I'm kind of more on the every other year program now yeah. <laughs> on Sean. Uh, and I've just got a lot going on with Sonic Bloom, so I might stick down more in the States over this summer. Um, usually I get up to BC at least once, twice, sometimes three times in a year. So um, I'm going to try to make it to one of these Sonic Blooms. This year might yeah, be a stretch. Time. The dollar's a bitch right now. <laughs> yeah, it costs us yeah, a fortune right. to go down there. But uh, one of these years, I think I'm going to put Burning Man on the bucket list too. Yeah. Every time That's I hear about, epic. every time I hear Burning Man, I'm more and more intrigued. Yeah. And I mean, I have no problem having a couple psychedelics either. So, you know, oh, whatever way it goes. You don't need to do anything at Burning Man except show up and you're, you're <laughs> blown away. You're just, 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 you know, hanging out, drinking water is enough. Well, if you're, if you're definitely, if you come back uh, or if you get into Alberta, you'll have to come by the studio and we'll do like an in-person, in-person okay. interview for oh. sure. 
Bring Sweet. your fucking what's that instrument called? The hammer. The hammer dulcimer. Bring that, Mike. My my, uh, my daughters will get a kick out of that. They both just love music. <laughs> right on, man. Well, it's been it's been great chatting with you. Is there yes, anything else you want to you want to get to before we wrap it up? Um. Well, just that idea of Festival Hearth. I think the real one of the one of the reasons I I talk about this. You know, the, one of the most fundamental is if you really can understand the physics of the universe. Then you can go back and look at every religious tradition on the planet and see that all these religions were trying to understand the same things and were describing reality in a slightly different way. And maybe it's like the different styles of music that we have, you know, and different musicians in different countries around the world can jam together and it's okay. You know, it's like some people play Chinese opera and some people play death metal and those two people don't have to kill each other because they don't play the same style of music. So maybe we could look at religion and faith that way. Let's let everybody pray however they pray, and it's great. Call it Festival Earth. Let's celebrate the diversity of religions like we do styles of dance or music, and then we could stop fighting each other. <laughs> yeah. Make it a lot more fun around here and a lot safer. I like how it all comes back to that. Once you realize that we really are all connected and there's a science behind being connected that, that, you know, what we do matters, right. And what we think matters. Yeah. Cause you can go around and, and tell everybody to be all one and everything's all one and just have faith that that's correct. And you'll get a bunch of people that are into it. And a bunch of people will be like, uh, okay, but like, how does that work? Is there mechanics for that? Cause if you could <laughs> explain that part, then my scientific brain and my spiritual brain would both be happy at the same time. And then I might think, wow, that's, that's really resonant. That's probably correct. At least it feels correct. At least it makes me want to be cooler than I was before and stop doing stupid things that I was doing <laughs> <laughs> like discrimination and racism and things like that. You know? Yeah. So, so if people want to dig deep into the, into the math and the, and the science behind this, cause I mean, I, I got a pretty deep dose of it watching the seam live, but after people are hearing, hearing this, what's the best way that they can dig deep besides the, well, besides the online a, class? Yeah. I, well, I can send you a link to that class and then you can go into that course and it's like super deep. And then the other thing is that there's just like lots of information posted to the social media pages of the resonance project and the SIM Haramein. So if you go to the SIM Haramein's Facebook page, and Residence Project Facebook page, and you just go to the photos or you even just scroll down the wall, you can go back years and okay. there's thousands of posts and okay. they're all about different things. And they have, some of them have links to articles. Some of them are just pictures with a description, um, GIFs, all different kinds of things or GIFs, however you pronounce it. And, uh, there's a lot in there. And also if you go to YouTube and you just start searching the SIM Haramein and the Residence Project on there, You'll find like all kinds of videos of Nassim lecturing and various conferences and, you know, all the way back to the Ashland Library series from like 2005 in 45 parts. It's like three and a half hours long. You know, there's all kinds of stuff for free out there uh, to learn more about this stuff. Not, not to mention Nassim's papers themselves. Uh, his website is resonance.is. Resonance.is is the Resonance Project website. And from there, you can get to the Resonance Academy, which is the online educational platform that's been developed to um, educate the public about this very um, 
detailed and broad set of information. Yeah. And then don't forget about your own stuff too. So well, I'm going to have links to all this stuff in the show notes. And so you've got, you know, you've got your, uh, your, what you have a band camp and a SoundCloud and Facebook as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of social, you know, I'm, I have my music is on Bandcamp and on SoundCloud uh, under Jamie Janover. And of course I've got the, you know, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram accounts and stuff like that too. So, uh, and YouTube. So, you know, I've got videos of me lecturing and I have um, actually a downloadable um, workshop that I did. That's five and a half hours long. Um, Portal to Ascension is the website that has those talks there's one talk that they have that I did on crop circles that should be coming out soon. Um, there's one on the ancient cultures that's four and a half hours long. And there's one on the whole unified field theory that's five and a half hours long. So, nice. uh, you can check those out. Uh, Great. So portal to Ascension. Lots of ways people can dig deep into this stuff then. Yeah. Yeah. We'll link all I, that I, I in the show notes. These links. Right on, man. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been a great chat and, and uh, keep doing what you're doing and merging all this stuff, this, this art and music and science. Uh, I think it's just fascinating. Thanks, man. And, and I applaud you guys for doing what you're doing. We need more folks like yourself uh, helping to share this information that's not being taught in school, in textbooks uh, to the masses. Yeah. Or on the mainstream TV. Or in the mainstream or in the news. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll keep Can't an eye on we'll keep an eye on that documentary as well. We'll try and get uh, we'll try and go to some sort of uh, oh yeah yeah That'd some opening. Yeah, uh, the connected some... universe is the name of that film. What's and the ETA something. Summer. Um, hopefully in June there's going to be a theatrical release, but I don't think it's 100 percent confirmed um, yet. But certainly within this year, um, the theatrical release and the digital release will happen by the fall. Right on! I can't wait. Yeah. All right, Jamie. Thanks, buddy. Yep. Yeah. Take care, guys. Okay. Right on, buddy. Have Much appreciated. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Peace. That was our chat with Jamie John over. That was a good one. Yeah, it was fascinating. M- pretty mind-blowing. I was looking through all my notes from the, from the, <laughs> trying to correlate my notes from the seams talk to what he's talking about, like, you know, the <clears throat> quantum vacuum fluctuations and the plank, the plank mass of the, of the wormhole and the plank density. Like, it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, Nassim, I, if anybody has a chance to see Nassim live, he's got a good sense of humor as well, and he just gets into the details of this, and it's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. I was going to mention Rene, Rene and um, Tamara as well, because that was a big game-changer for them as well with the Flower of Life and, and Nassim's work into that. Yeah, well, that's I like how, I like how it kind of tied in with that. Yeah, they, they wrote that novel, The One Great Year. And it was uh, the Vesica Pisces. Yeah, like I'm that. a Pisces. Yeah, yeah. You just had a birthday. Uh, yeah, that's right. Happy belated. Thanks. So, so you're ha- what do you think? Yeah, good. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was a good one. It uh, kind of ties in well with uh, Neil Adams's work. Neil Adams' work. Get those two and, together in a little conference. Yeah. And we just had Von Anakin on. He's talking about ancient aliens, and now we're talking about ancient aliens. And the mm. sound stuff's pretty cool. So I love the sound stuff. I wanted to get into more of that, but makes you wonder time. what it's doing to your fucking blood and shit. What is anything? Your fucking atoms. Period. What's, when what's, you're listening what's, to crazy beats, <clears throat> yeah, makes you cry, man. That's why. Yeah, makes you cry. 
Makes your atoms cry. <laughs> your atoms are weak. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, big thanks to Jamie for coming on the show. Hopefully we'll get uh, Nassim on some time. Um, check out grammerica.ca slash support for all the different options to help out the show. Spam Graham. G-R-A-H-A-M. Acroamerica. Dot com. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Or CA. It all forwards there. It all forwards to the main one. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, so people are having trouble signing up for the newsletter. If you can't find it on the webpage, I think it's on the right no, it's side. No, it's because of the mobile. It's not on the mobile. Thing. Ah, so just go to grammarica.ca slash news. Just type that into your um, search engine or your browser, your web browser, and that'll take you right to the newsletter page. It should try it now. Are you, just, are you trying it? Uh, I'm in. Yeah, I am. How'd you know? You can tell. I can just so yeah, it's on the it's on the web page, just to the right, on the right, halfway down. What happens if you down. type grammarica.ca slash news? <clears throat> Do you want me to try that? Yeah. Slash news. Oh fuck. Yeah. Takes you to the newsletter. And it works uh, on an iPhone if you type in slash news. You just can't find it without typing the slash news. Did you catch That's that? Right. Yeah. You have to have the slash news. Yeah. And sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we're still doing our upgrade. I think we're closing in on 50%, but uh, help us out there. Uh, about halfway there. Grab Trying to raise money for a new computer. Yeah, before this one breaks down, because that'd be terrible. If we had to go a couple weeks with no computer, we'd have to go a couple weeks with no show. Yeah. I guess we could try recording it on that PC of yours. <laughs> but I'm not super confident that's going to work out. Yeah, I know. Anyway, grammarica.ca slash upgrade. If, uh, I think we're only doing 125 tickets or June 1st, and that'll include an iPad with some apps and books, uh, Grammarica stickers. Coming on the show. Coming on the show. Choice. You pick a guest, interview him with us, uh, and a little swag pack with some T-shirts and magnets, mouse pad, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so check out grammarica.ca slash upgrade for all those details. Grab some tickets today. Uh, I think that's about it, eh? Yeah, that's about it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, guys. And we will see you next week.
I want a good skull from a synchronicity Graham reads it out, then Dara might give it to me Hey, don't you please read it low, yeah, yeah